0: Now, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter 1. As you turn to it, I welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus. We trust that He will be with us and that He will bless our hearts. We welcome also those online, and we pray that you also will be helped as you hear the Word of God. And so, Malachi chapter 1, the final one of the Minor Prophets. Let's open our Bibles here and let's read This first chapter of this book, Malachi 1, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness." Whereas Edom saith, We are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall build, but I will throw down. And they shall call them the border of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see, and ye shall say, The Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. A son honoureth his father." And a servant is master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests, that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? And now I pray you, beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means. Will he regard your persons, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? neither do ye kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts, neither will I accept an offering at your hand. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye have profaned it, in that ye say the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. Ye said also, Behold, what a weariness it is, and ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts, and ye brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick, thus ye brought an offering, should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord, but cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth, and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great, go- a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. And we know that God will bless the reading of His Word to all of our hearts. When you read that first chapter, it gives you immediately a flavor of what Malachi is all about. And in this opening portion. We have the Lord very directly address the priestly uh, leaders of the nation of Israel in those days when Malachi ministered, and we can see so clearly how far away the nation had gone already from the Lord. And I'm talking about the times when the Lord brought them back from Babylon. So, we come to Malachi. Malachi is, of course, one of the three post-exilic prophets, that is, those men who ministered after they came back from Babylon. He ministered along with Haggai and Zechariah, or at around that same time As a better way of putting it. Now, while uh, Malachi is not mentioned in any other Scripture, yet there is sufficient evidence that he prophesied around 435 to 433, around that period, when Artaxerxes was the emperor of Persia. The year mentioned that I have just mentioned there, 435 to 433, the year mentioned marks the time of Malachi's ministry is actually falling between the two periods when Nehemiah's ministry was taking place in Jerusalem. So, actually, Malachi and Nehemiah were contemporaries. And we will note that fact shortly uh, as we go down through some of the thoughts that I want to bring to you this morning. But from his book, we learn, that is from Nehemiah's book, we learn that Nehemiah went from Shushan, you'll find that in the very first verse or thereabouts of the book of Nehemiah, he went from Shushan, which was the palace of Artaxerxes, he went to Jerusalem, and he went on two separate occasions. Nehemiah made two visits from Shushan to the city of Jerusalem. Now, his first visit marked the third return of the Jews from Babylon. And the focus was on those who had returned from Babylon, uh, giving their time and their attention to the rebuilt temple and the worship of God that also had been restored. As you may remember from our study in the book of Ezra, Uh, some time ago on Sunday mornings, the temple had been rebuilt, and worship had been restored under that man called Zerubbabel from the tribe of Judah. And Joshua, who was the high priest at that time, uh, he, of course, was from the tribe of Levi. And all these are important details in the whole history of this period. The temple was finally rebuilt in the year 516 B.C., after the first return from Babylon. Then, some years later, in 458 BC, Ezra himself came uh, from Babylon. And then, a little later, in 445 BC, Nehemiah went from Babylon to Jerusalem in a third return. I think that is remarkable because when you study the history of the captivity, the captivity took place in a threefold manner. There were actually three. Set times when Nebuchadnezzar went to Jerusalem and he took Jews away uh, in uh, in bonds and in slavery to dwell in the city of Babylon. But then when the Lord brought them back, he brought them back in three stages, and I've just mentioned those three stages. First of all, as I mentioned there, uh, under uh, Zerubbabel, then under Nehemiah, and then, or sorry, under Ezra, and then under Nehemiah. So it was a threefold return. From Babylon. Now, at the time Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem for the first time, he rebuilt, or he was the man instrumental in the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. Remember that the temple was already built some uh, 70, 80 years before that. And then the walls had to be rebuilt, and even the houses of the city. And you find all that detail in the book of Nehemiah. He went back to Babylon as was arranged. By Artaxerxes or under his permission. If you turn to Nehemiah 2, you will see this. Nehemiah chapter 2. So, as I mentioned, in chapter 1, verse 1 of Nehemiah, you read there of Shushan the palace. Then in chapter 2, you begin to read of Artaxerxes, the king at that time, the king of the Persians. So, in Nehemiah 2, verse 6, it says this And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? You see, Nehemiah already has asked, if you read down the first part of chapter 2, uh, if he could go to Jerusalem to oversee the rebuilding of the walls and so forth. And so now the question from the king, For how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Notice those words in verse 6. The king allows Nehemiah to go to Jerusalem, but only for a set time. This is a reference to the first visit that he made back to Jerusalem. But he returned to Jerusalem a second time in the year 433 B.C. So, he went in 445 B.C. This all can be worked out from the Scripture and also from uh, history from that particular time. So, he went back in 445, the walls were built, then he went back to Shushan, then he returned a second time to Jerusalem. And if you'll turn now to Nehemiah 13, you will read of that. I want you just to get these historical details. This is good Bible study for you to know something of the correlation between all these books and all these different men of God of those times. So, Nehemiah 13, verse number 4 let's look at that verse. And before this, Eliashib the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of God, was allied on to Tobiah. Now, Tobiah was an enemy of the Jews. We Read about Tobiah earlier in Nehemiah, how he sought to stop the work. So, Nehemiah 13 verse 4, we read that the high priest, Eliashib, is allied on to Tobiah. And he had prepared for him, verse 5, a great chamber where aforetime they laid the meat offerings, the frankincense. We'll not read any more at this point. Go on to verse 6. But in all this time was not I at Jerusalem. For in the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king, and after certain days obtained I leave of the king, and I came to Jerusalem and understand, understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobias. So what you see there is he had gone back to Artaxerxes, in Shushan, the palace. He'd stayed there for a brief time, really. And then, having heard what was happening back in Jerusalem, because remember the old saying, when the cat's away, the mice will play. And we can apply it here, because uh, Nehemiah has gone back to Shushan, and when he gets away from Jerusalem, all the work he had done, it is being undermined. And evil men rise up, And they enter into an alliance with the high priests of Israel and the whole religious system. And they're entertained and they're elevated, these enemies of God. And Nehemiah hears about this. So he wants to go back to Jerusalem to sort it all out. Really, that's the way to put it. And that's what you find here in verse 6. He says that he obtained leave of the king, verse 7 of Nehemiah 13. And I came to Jerusalem. And understood of the evil that Lashab did for Tobiah. And then verse 8, and it grieved me sore. And here's what he did, therefore I cast forth all the household stuff, household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. He didn't waste any time. He got things sorted out when he arrived back. So when you study the books, keep your finger, please, in Nehemiah, we'll be going back there in a moment, but when you under, when you under, see this. It gives you an insight into what's happening in the days of Malachi. Because Malachi, as I've said, and Nehemiah are really serving the Lord at the same time. They are contemporaries. So, when you study both books, you find that both men present similar spiritual and moral failures. And that that itself shows that they are contemporaries. Those failures, I just mentioned them here quickly... And we'll look at Malachi to get the, the idea of some of the failure that he mentions. And you'll find the very same thing back there in Nehemiah 13. We might turn back there briefly in a moment. But look at Malachi 2, verse number 11. And what you find is that there was marriage to heathen wives. So, Malachi 2 and verse number 11 it says Judah hath dealt treacherously and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. There's a reference to marriage with the heathen. You will find the very same sin mentioned in Nehemiah 13, verses 23 to 27, and it makes interesting reading, and I'm not going to read it now for time's sake, but that's one sin that both men mention. A second sin, look at Nehemiah 3, or sorry, Malachi 3, verse number 8. And you'll notice how often down through the book of Malachi, the Lord keeps asking questions. So, here's another question. Malachi 3, verse 8, "'Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me.'" You see, that's unthinkable. That's the way the question is posed. "'Will a man rob God?' And so, it's unthinkable that a man would rob God. But look at the next words. Yet ye have robbed me. And so, when they were challenged about this by Malachi the prophet, they come back as if they didn't know what he meant. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? And here's the answer. In tithes and offerings. And so, that's another failure, another sin. You see, God simply said to His people, to give a tenth of what He gave them, and also give their offerings at other times. And that's a pattern the whole way through Scripture. It's true also in the New Testament. It's undeniably true that today, the church of Jesus Christ, we are to give our tithes and our offerings. Both are mentioned over and over again in the Word of God. The Lord doesn't ask us to give everything because you have to have your home and feed your family and, and all of that. And the Lord, the Lord makes provision for that by giving us all that we have in the first place. But then we are to give on to Him to support His cause, His church, His work in this world. But these people were saying, well, wherein have we robbed thee? And the answer was in tithes and offerings. In Nehemiah 13:10 to 14, you'll find the very same sin. And then Malachi 2 again, verses 8 and 9. It says, But ye are departed, Malachi 2, verse 8, But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law." And so, there was a disregard for God's law. And again, you will find the very same in Nehemiah 13, 15 to 22. The law of God was contemptible. contemptible. It was treated with contempt and disdain by His own people, by God's people. And then another sin, the corruption of the priesthood. Malachi 1, verse number 6. It says there in that verse, "...a son on earth is father." And a servant is master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests, that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. Verse 8, If ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? If ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? You see, God goes down through the thing in detail. This is what they were doing. You see, they were to bring offerings to the Lord that were without blemish. So they brought bread that was polluted. That could mean it was mouldy and stale. And in other words, they didn't—they uh, they offered that bread to God that they wouldn't even give to their animals. They also brought animals that were sick and were lame and so on, as you read in those words. And God had said they were not to do that. In other words, the Lord requires, the Lord demands the best because He is God. And we can apply that to our own lives over and over again in so many ways. The Lord wants the best of our time, the best of our energy, etc., etc. And yet we give Him that which is less. Isn't that true? We give Him less than our best and so forth. And And so, the very same sins, brethren and sisters, that were found in Malachi's day and in Nehemiah's day are found in our day. And so, God comes to confront His people, just not the world. We don't expect anything else of the world, but we who are His people, the Lord expects us to serve Him and minister unto Him with the very best that we can bring before Him, and yet, that is so often not the case. So, what I'm showing you is Nehemiah's day, Malachi's day, the very same sins are mentioned. And that proves that these two men ministered around the same time. I'm not going to go to Nehemiah now. I would encourage you to read the latter part of Nehemiah 13, and you will see all these details that I have mentioned. I leave that to you. But what really is the significance of Malachi's prophecy? And it's interesting just to ask that question because, to a great degree, the significance of Malachi's book or prophecy lies in his name, Malachi. And that name means my messenger. That does not mean, of course, that other men were not the messengers of God. Of course they were. But this man is given a name. And remember, he was given it when he was born. I'm not sure what his parents might have thought at that time uh, with regard to giving him this name, Malachi, my messenger. But you see, Hebrew names is a Hebrew word, actually, Malachi. It's taken straight out of Hebrew. And Hebrew names, as I've been saying in these studies in the Minor Prophets, they all have a message. They're a part of God's revelation. And so here's this little baby called Malachi, and his parents call him Malachi. And he grows up, and at some point the Lord takes him, and he sets him apart, and he said, you are going to be my messenger. That's why you have this name, because there's a moment coming, there's a day arising when you will be needed, when your message that I'm going to give you must be delivered. And so, notice the significance of this name. And not only the fact that Malachi bears that name and, and that um, it was for his own ministry, but also with regard to the very book that he delivered. This idea, this concept of a messenger comes out a number of times. The Hebrew noun that lies at the very base of the name Malachi is Malak. And that word Malak is found an awful lot In the Old Testament, sometimes it's translated messenger, sometimes it's translated angel, because very often God sent His angels as messengers, and that's the actual essential meaning of the uh, creature whom we read about in the Bible, where the Old and the New Testaments called an angel. Uh, God's angels are messengers. That's the sense of the very Hebrew word for an associated angel, and it's the same word as associated here in Malachi's name. And so, you've got that part of the… if you take… if you just look at the word Malachi, and remember that in Hebrew, uh, there is no K. And so, uh, C-H really stands for K in… as you think about Hebrew. And so, that's why we say Malachi, not Malachi. Just let me help you there. It's, it's uh, not how you pronounce his name. It's not Malachi, it's Malachi, because the C-H really stands for K. And that's the same with, if you take the river or the brook, Kerith, C-H, is pronounced K. So, it's just a little help to use pronunciation of words. So, uh, you've got that part, Malak. You see it right here in his name. And then you've got the letter I that signifies the pronoun my And so, his name means my messenger. And so, the Lord is signifying by his name, I have raised this man up to bring God's message, to bring my message, to be my messenger in a dark and needy time. So, based on the meaning of his name, there's a focus on the concept of the messenger in this prophecy of Malachi. And the word messenger is found three times. Let me show you those three times. That will take up the most of our period this morning in this study. Go back to chapter 2 or wherever you are. Go to chapter 2 of Malachi and look at verse 7. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the Lord his mouth. Now listen. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Now, that verse is making a statement. It's making a statement of what the priest ought to have been, what the priest should have been. But in Malachi's day, they were not what the Lord uh, sent them to be and to do. And so it says in this verse, the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the Lord's mouth. And the very language tells you that while this is what they should have been doing, they weren't doing it. Then it goes on to say, for he that is the priest is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. And those latter words are a powerful statement of the essence, of the nature, of the office of the priest. He is supposed to be the messenger of the Lord of hosts. I've noted this with you in a few occasions in these studies in the Minor Prophets. The priest was to be God's messenger. He had the law of God, he was involved. Many of these priests were involved in writing Scripture, uh, like Ezra and others. But anyhow, they had the Word of God, and it was their duty to take what God had revealed and actually go to the people of God and expound it. You see, the priests were to be preachers. The priests were involved in the temple, yes, or the tabernacle, and they offered up sacrifices, and they, and they did all those Ceremonial things that had to do with the temple, offering sacrifices, burning incense, and all of that. And yet, that was also a way, a means of teaching the people. They went to the door of the tabernacle, the outer door. There was a great brazen altar, and the priest would have killed a goat or a bull or whatever the animal was that the Israelite brought, and he, he shed its blood, he burnt the body. What was he teaching Israel? There's only one way to God. That's through the sacrifice. But they not only did it in that way, that is teach. They also were to take the written word, the written law of God, and explain it, and expound it, and present it. But it was not happening. Look at, again, Malachi 2, verse number 8. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. You know, those words are always true. God has sent men to be preachers, ministers of the gospel, and many occupy that office. But here is the the test that needs to be applied to any man's ministry. Does he cause people to stumble? Or does he preach the Word of God so clearly, so plainly, that if they falter, if they don't believe, if they disobey, it's not the preacher's fault. It's their fault. And that's a very, very solemn matter. And it's true, it's true, brethren and sisters, that across what professes to be the church of Christ today in, in our world and in our times, you have men who cause people to stumble, stumble, they they supposedly open up the Bible, but they don't expound it. They supposedly explain it and give the gospel, but they don't do that. They bring in their own ideas, their own thoughts, their own message, and they send multitudes to hell. That's really what's in view here. So, nothing has changed. This was the state of affairs in those days. Here were these men who were to be the teachers and the instructors of the people. Remember where we're at here. We're now almost a hundred years after the temple was rebuilt. It was rebuilt in 516, or finished, as I said earlier, B.C. This man, Malachi's ministry, is about 80, 85 years later on. And in that period, decline has set in, spiritual decline, and it's among the priests, the teaching priests, have apostatized from the Lord and His Word. And therefore, the state of national religion was dark. It was marked by unbelief and contradiction of God and so on. Oh, how tragic, how lamentable, but let us keep in mind this has happened down through time and happens in our day and in our time. Just a few weeks ago, just a few weeks ago, those men who like to be called the five ma- or the four main church leaders here in Northern Ireland. The Presbyterian moderator, the president of the Methodist Church, the head of the Church of Ireland, plus Eamon Martin, the Roman Catholic Archbishop. Where were they? They were all in Rome at an ecumenical service, celebrating, as they saw it, the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. Even you did want to celebrate that. Why would you go to Rome to begin with? They were there because that's what the Pope wanted. And there they go. And that's what I'm saying to you. Is that a faithful messenger? Sitting down with the Archbishop of Armagh, the head of the Catholic Church in Ireland, never mind anybody else, and having an ecumenical service. To whom did they pray? What did they say? What was the foundation of their meeting? Well, it wasn't truth. That's one sure thing. And it wasn't the glory of Christ. And I'm showing you today where things can go very rapidly, where they, how they develop and depart you from God. Oh, the Bible does say, doesn't it? There's nothing new under the sun there in Ecclesiastes, and we are seeing it today. And so, consequently, Malachi was raised up by God as a prophet to expose the spiritual failure of the priests and the congregation as a whole. And part of his ministry was only to rebuke the priests and tell them, you're supposed to be the messenger of the Lord. But it was to point to those who would be true messengers. Now, God has sent Malachi and he is a true messenger. But the point is that in his ministry here, as we see it in Malachi, Malachi himself pointed to two people whom he calls messengers. I want you to see this. Remember what I said there a few minutes ago. The word messenger is found three times in this book. It's used in chapter 2 verse 7 with regard to the priests who should have been messengers of the Lord and weren't, Then it's it's used in a wonderful way in chapter 3, verse 1. This is really the key verse of the whole prophecy. Malachi 3, verse 1, and read it with me. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. Whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith, the Lord of hosts. So in this verse, the word messenger is used twice. That makes up the three times that we find the word messenger in the book, apart from Malachi's own name, meaning my messenger. But as an actual word, we find it three times. And here are two more. What do we have here in this twofold use of the word messenger? Well, Malachi is actually pointing forward here to New Testament times. And he's delivering a remarkable prophecy. Excuse me. First of all, a prophecy of John the Baptist. Look at it, verse 1 of chapter 3. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. You see, brethren and sisters, that is a prophecy. The second part's a prophecy as well, but this is a distinct prophecy. Behold, I will send... My messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Now, who's speaking there? Well, I think you can see it. It's Christ himself through his servant Malachi. Because the speaker here in part A of verse 1 of chapter 3 says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. So, the person who is speaking is the person who sends the messenger, and the messenger is obviously John the Baptist, and therefore John the Baptist was sent by our Lord Jesus Christ to prepare the way for him. But just not when the Lord was on the earth. The commission to John the Baptist was from all eternity, and it's revealed through Malachi. John the Baptist is also mentioned by Isaiah the prophet. But this is the most distinct prophecy of John the Baptist that you will find in the Old Testament. There are those few, as I've mentioned. This is the one that is so distinct because the Hebrew, the Hebrew here in this verse, the Hebrew original, asserts certainty. And it can be read this way. You can read those words, Behold, I will send my messenger. It can be read this way, Behold, I am about to send my messenger. Now, this is about 400 years, somewhat more, 430 years before Christ ever is born. But, brethren and sisters, Christ is the prophet of Jehovah. He is the eternal Son of God. And therefore, He existed before, obviously before Malachi's day. He existed before time ever came into being. He existed from all eternity. He's the great prophet of Jehovah in the eternal covenant. That's mentioned a little farther down in this verse, and we'll come to that in a moment. And in that position that he occupied from all eternity as the prophet of Jehovah, he said, there's coming a point in time when I will send my messenger, namely John the Baptist. But here we find it's revealed long before John's day, long before the Lord's days when he walked in this earth. It's a prophecy with regard to John the Baptist. It stands clear and plain hundreds of years before he actually came. If you will turn to Matthew 11, you will see the verification that these words are the words of Christ with regard to John the Baptist. Malachi, sorry, Matthew 11 and the verse number 7. It says, As they departed Jesus, Matthew 11 verse 7, As they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, that's John the Baptist, what went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind. And you can understand what that means. Was John the Baptist some kind of a mealy-mouthed creature, uh, like a reed shaken in the wind? He goes on to say, but what went ye out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment. Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went you out for to see? He's talking to the people who heard John the Baptist. He's saying to them, what, what do you think of him? What did you find about him? Was he like a reed shake in the wind? Was he dressed in clothes that belonged to a king? Then verse 9, But what went you out for to see? A prophet. Yea, I say unto you and more than a prophet. Now listen, here it is. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. And so the Lord quotes from Malachi 3 and he makes it absolutely clear that the one of whom he speaks in Malachi 3 is truly John the Baptist. Malachi 3 and verse number 1. And so. If you look at that statement again, behold, I will send my messenger. Remember what I told you at the very outset today? The name Malachi means my messenger. And if you had the Hebrew language in front of you now and were reading it, you would find it reads this way, behold, I will send Malachi, because Malachi means my messenger and the two words here, my messenger, are the meaning of Malachi's name. And so what you find is that there's a play in the words. There's a play on the meaning of Malachi's name. He's, God calls him this phrase, my messenger, he says. But now Malachi as God's messenger is, is bringing a prophecy that comes from the lips of Christ. And Christ says of John the Baptist, he is Malachi. He will be my messenger in his day and in his time. Now, John the Baptist had a very short ministry. About six months, then his head was cut off. But in those short months, John saw a wonderful work done because Christ could say, He's my messenger. And let me ask you a question. Do you know what John's message was when he came and he spoke of Jesus Christ? As the Lord's forerunner. Remember, he's he's the forerunner. He only prepares the way for the Lord. What did he say? I think you all would know. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. <clears throat> he said it twice. Uh, you find this in John 1. We're not turning there now, but you know the verses. John 1 29, John 1 36. And therefore, what you're showing there is that. There's a reminder there that the preachers, the messengers' work today is to do the very same thing, behold the Lamb of God. Oh, yes, a lot more than that, but that's the center of it all. That's the pivotal message, God's Lamb. You see, He's addressing a people in His day, Malachi is, where the priests have gone wrong and have turned away from the law. And they're not explaining the law, etc., and the people are in darkness, and, and suddenly, this, this tremendous prophecy, there's one coming, He's my messenger. And when John came, that was his message about the Lamb of God, showing how Christ would fulfill the whole law and, and uh, bring to pass all that concerned Him. And so, that's the first part of Malachi 3.1. Then the second part goes on to say this. Look at the verse, And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to His temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. These are, again, the Lord Jesus Christ's words as the prophet of Jehovah. But they're spoken here in what you call the third person. First part of the verse is spoken in the first person. Behold, I will send. That's the first person. But then look at verse Three, this verse again, uh, Malachi 3.1. The Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to His temple. This is all written in the third person, but I'm just showing you this because the Lord is declaring here, in this prophetic way, something about Himself. And what you find is that He is also called the messenger. Here's the third use of the word messenger, in this book, about the priests who had failed, chapter 2, 7, and 8, about John the Baptist who would come as the forerunner of the Lord, and now it's used of Jesus Christ Himself. And so, the, the, the words there are important, the messenger of the covenant. Now, that's, that's a unique little phrase. This is the only place in the whole of the Old Testament, where you will find this language. Or very often, the Lord's referred to in other ways with regard to the covenant. But here He's called the messenger of the covenant. And the covenant here, of course, is the covenant of grace. And concerning that covenant, Jesus Christ is the messenger. He's the one who came into the world to reveal to sinners... God's way of salvation, God's covenant plan of redemption, this is what's in view here. And so, in the day when Malachi lived, that covenant had been forgotten. It had been neglected. It was not been preached or explained or expounded to the people of Israel. They were in darkness about this. You know, the very same was true today to a great degree. And what is the preacher's ministry always? It's just to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to be the messenger of the covenant. It's to explain to sinners that God in His marvelous, eternal, sovereign grace has covenanted to save people from all nations. He has covenanted to give Christ to die for them. He has covenanted or agreed in the conscience of eternity to Have the Lord Jesus make the atonement for sin. Offer a sacrifice that satisfies divine justice. Rise again from the dead. Ascend back to heaven and pray for those for whom He died. That's what the covenant is all about. And brethren and sisters, that's the essence of our salvation. And yet I lament that that view of the gospel, the true view of the gospel, is not presented as it ought to be. You see, as a unilateral covenant, God says, this is my messenger. I will send them," And he's saying, it's all of me. Man is not a party to the covenant, to put it that way, I use the word unilateral. That means it's it's one way, it's one dimensional. But what's preached today is what you might call something that's bilateral. It's God and man working out the whole scheme, because man wants to have a part. Man wants to say to God, even back to God, no, 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 no. Uh, I have some goodness left in me. I can can do this. I can do that. I can do the other thing. And then there are plenty of preachers to tell them that, that they can do it. And they find then to their dismay and to their eternal ruin that they can do nothing to save themselves. But man wants to make the whole thing bilateral, an agreement between God and man, but that is not so. It's God's agreement from all eternity Yes, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's what I mean by God. Three persons in the Godhead. The one God, the one divine essence. But each person possessing that essence of God. And that's the mystery of the Trinity. But there they agree from all eternity, we will save sinners. They don't deserve it. They've sinned against us, the law, holiness, They deserve only to go to hell, but we will save sinners. And God has agreed to do that. He has covenanted to do that. And in His grace and His mercy, He has sent His own blessed Son as the mediator of the covenant. And really, that is what the term here, messenger of the covenant, signifies. It's a reference to Christ, the mediator. Do you see how um, Malachi preached the gospel. Now You can read the book of Malachi, and I know there are people who would do this and say, there's not, you know, there's no gospel there. That's all about Old Testament times and priests and, and, and polluted bread and, and all the rest of it, and they don't understand it. They don't know what it means because they miss Christ. Christ is here. Christ sends John the Baptist. Christ comes Himself. He's declaring the gospel. I often think of the words that are in Galatians concerning Abraham, that God before, that is in history, God before preached the gospel unto Abraham, saying, "'In thee shall all nations be blessed.'" That's the gospel, blessed through Christ, His person and His work. May the Lord write His word in our hearts. We will leave it there now, time's gone, and we'll just bow together and let us commit our way unto the Lord as we come to a close. Heavenly Father, we pray that the Spirit of the Lord will take the word that we have considered, that He will write it on our minds, on our hearts. We pray that He will give us an understanding of This book of Malachi that closes out the Old Testament, O Lord, how we pray that we will be able to see the message of this man, the one you called my messenger. And Lord, we do pray that thou wilt bless thy truth to us as we look at it. Abide with us today. Bless now in the morning meeting coming up, and come down in power, we ask of thee, and give us soul-refreshing times and seasons of power. From thy mighty hand, we'll give thee all the praise and all the glory. We ask this for Jesus' sake and for God's eternal praise. Amen.